You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, and welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Our listeners have no doubt heard of non-monogamy, and while there are many different forms of it, polyamory, the practice of having more than one romantic or sexual partner at the same time, is definitely gaining the most visibility in popular culture. It was the fourth most frequent in search relationship term on Google in 2017. But even if we're aware that polyamory is a thing, plenty of us don't understand how it actually works. Today, my guest is Stephanie M. Sullivan, and she's a marriage and family therapist at A Compass Within Personal Consulting in Rochester, Michigan. She earned her master's degree in child development and family studies with a specialization in marriage and family therapy from Purdue University Northwest. Stephanie is an LGBTQ affirmative polyamory polyamory affirmative, and kink-friendly therapist who specializes in working with people navigating polyamorous relationships and other forms of consensual non-monogamy. Stephanie is also an author and presenter for The Affirmative Couch at AffirmativeCouch.com and focuses on educating both the general public and other mental health professionals about polyamory. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks, Joe. So why don't we start with just the whole, the concept of what is polyamory? Uh, well, polyamory is the practice of having more than one romantic or sexual partners. Um, it, it when it's defined, uh, polyamory actually means many loves or more than one love. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind polyamory. Okay. And then can you tell me, I forgot to ask, I had somebody on here um, recently, David Singer, the LA King Shrink is his name. And uh, we talked a little bit about polyamory and he said something about polycules, but we never got to it. Can mm-hmm. you tell us what a polycule is? Yeah. So a polycule is the all of the people that are involved in one relationship. So if I'm dating Joe and uh, Joe is dating uh, Brad and Brad is dating Margaret, then all of those people together are the polycule. It's kind of like the molecule of polyamorous people together. So is it like a commitment of all those people that we are in this bubble kind of thing? Uh, not necessarily. No, it's kind of just all of the attachments with all of the the people. Um, they don't all have to be dating one another, uh, but it's how everyone is attached and how everyone kind of relates to one another. Um, I might not have even met Margaret, but she's still part of my polycule because of the extension of all of of my partner and his partner. Oh, I see. All right. So it's not you don't necessarily all know each other, but she's connected. Whomever's connected to the people involved with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. So it can be pretty big. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, And then, you know, a lot of people think, is polyamory just for people who want to have a lot of sex? What do you say to that? Um, That's something I get a lot. And it can be for people who want to have a lot of sex, uh, but that's not necessarily all it is. Um, It can be for people who are asexual and who don't have sex at all, who just want multiple romantic partners as well. Right, because sometimes it can just be romantic and not sexual at all, right? Yeah, correct. And then can you define like a nesting partner versus a sexual partner and they can be separate? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So a nesting partner would probably be someone who is involved and you're sharing maybe a living space, sharing finances. Um, That would be a nesting partner. And someone else who is more – 
someone else would just be not a nesting partner would be someone who doesn't necessarily live with you, but they might be just as important, but they not, might not be. It kind of depends on the person. And it may or may not be sexual with either one. Correct. So it's that I'm in relationship with you. How is this different than from friendship? These are just friends of mine. That's a great question. Um, I think that polyamory can be it can take a lot of different forms and some people can have very close intimate connections with their friends and consider it just a friendship and a polyamorous person might consider it a polyamorous partner um it's really about how you define it because how do you define the difference between a close friendship and and a platonic relationship or a romantic relationship once you take sex out of it how do you know the difference between mm. those two things um it really depends on the person and how they're defining that relationship which is really the way things are going now right i tell all my therapists that i work with you have to ask your client how do what does it mean to them how do they define it for themselves right right exactly i like that a lot um a lot of people confuse polyamory with polygamy mm -hmm. would you mind talking about that and what tell us what polygamy is yeah, so polygamy would be the practice of having more than one uh wife, more than one spouse. Um and there's that difference because polyamory is an active choice. It's not it doesn't have a religious base which polygamy often does. Um and poly polyamory is much more um yeah, not religious based, kind of more of an active choice of consenting between everyone within the relationship and making those decisions together. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then remember, you came to one of my other talks and so we were talking about what is it when – so po polygamy means a man with many wives, right? But then what is it when a woman has many husbands? Polyandry? Is that what it was? I believe so. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot, but we looked it up and I didn't remember it. Yeah, I can't remember now either. We did look it up though. <laughs> So what I want people to hear is that Stephanie's been coming to a lot of my um, – we do like meetup groups and mm -hmm. monthly things. And so uh, that's not how I met – is that how I met you? It is how yeah. I met you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So then then she adds a lot to the discussion too. So I thought – and she knows so much about polyamory and other things. I thought let's have her on. <laughs> um, all right. So then how does it differ – polyamory differ from swinging? And can you mm -hmm. define swinging so listeners know what that is? Yeah. So swinging would be oftentimes it's a couple looking for another couple to swing with, you know, switch partners or maybe a couple looking for one person to um, have sex with both of them. Um, the couple is primary in a swinging relationship. That couple comes first generally. Um, in polyamory, it's not necessarily about one couple coming before the rest. There can be – there's a dynamic of polyamory and hierarchical polyamory where there is a primary couple and their relationship comes above any other partners. Um, but polyamory does have a lot more ways of of talking about that and looking at that and defining their relationships. Uh, swinging is a lot – oftentimes a lot more sexual um, where you're just – um, having sex with different partners, um, whereas polyamory is, again, you know, maybe more focused on that romantic aspect. Right. And then Ken Haslam is a, a poly sex therapist and he has that line I told you about when um, with polyamory – no, with sex – with swinging you get sex, with polyamory you get breakfast. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Uh, not always. Um, sometimes people who are polyamorous can just have a one night stand and, you know, move on with their day. Uh, but yeah, I would say that that's mostly accurate. I like what you're saying that we want to make sure not to make rigid definition because even people in the swinging community can make relationships with one another, right? Mm -hmm. And friendships. Definitely. And someone could say, well, isn't that polyamory? But they're going to say, no, it's swinging. We're partner swapping. Mm -hmm. or yeah. Or, or they might move in from swinging to polyamory. Um, those things can move into one another as well. And polyamorous people can also swing. Oh, 
All right, wait, let me wrap around that. So some people can be swingers and move into poly, and some people can be poly and move into swinging. Mm-hmm. Or do both. So they might have multiple partners, and one of their partners and them might want to go to a swingers club and just swap partners for the night as well. Okay, so there's lots of choices. Yes. Sometimes too many choices, maybe, huh? <laughs> um, do people get overwhelmed? Do they come to you being overwhelmed about it or no? Sometimes. Um, sometimes it's about navigating their different agreements that they have with one another. Sometimes it's people just wanting to explore the idea of polyamory. Sometimes it's them wanting to explore any form of consensual non-monogamy. Um, they come to me about all sorts of things, definitely. And then in the swinging community, it used to be very homophobic, I remember, and even biphobic for men. Mm-hmm. But now that's changing, right? It's starting to. I would say there's still a lot of that uh, biphobia, um, especially for men and homophobia for men, especially. Because bi women are welcome and, mm-hmm. and encouraged even. But mm-hmm. bi men are seen is, – are they seen as predatory? Is that how – is that what the phobia is? I'm not entirely sure. I don't know where that entirely comes from. I know that there's a lot of biphobia in general, um, just about bisexual people. You know, there's different stereotypes like, well, a bisexual man is actually gay and a bisexual woman is just experimenting. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I always say um, that for bisexual men, when when a man has one non-heterosexual thought, he's stigmatized. When a woman has one non-heterosexual thought, she's fetishized. Absolutely. That's what Mm -hmm. that is. Um, All right. So – what would you say um, to people that say, well, these are people that just want license to cheat? Um, I would say that some people do use polyamory as a license to cheat, uh, but that's not actually polyamory. One of the defining things of polyamory is that it has to be consensual between all partners, um, actively, enthusiastically consensual. If it's not, if some person, if someone feels that they are being coerced into polyamory, it's not true polyamory. Um, so I think that that's really important to notice and to recognize if you're thinking about exploring polyamory is to feel like if you, are you being coerced into it? Do you feel like you have to be polyamorous to keep that partner? Mm. Um, or do you really want that for yourself and to do some of that self acknowledgement and self reflection? What would you say are some of the more common issues that people come in around polyamory in your office? Uh, Some people want to explore the idea of polyamory. Um, A lot of people come in uh, with questions about how to manage jealousy. Uh, A lot of people come in with just just how their relationship is changing. Maybe a new partner was added recently and that always changes the dynamics of a relationship. Um, You know, whether it's a monogamous a couple who has a baby or a polyamorous triad who adds another partner. And then so the whole idea of jealousy, can you speak to that? Because people always mm-hmm. say, well, that just, you know, one partner's hard enough. And so adding more would just add too much jealousy and I couldn't take it. What do you say to that? Uh, I say that jealousy is something that people come to me about a lot. And it's a big reason why people say they couldn't be polyamorous. Uh, but It's something that we deal with in our day-to-day lives all the time, and I'm not really sure why it's different from romantic relationships. Uh, You know, I had a friend a couple of years ago who got – an all expensive pay, all expenses paid cruise, ten day cruise through Europe. Her best friend was getting married in Rome, so everything was paid for by the bride's family, and I was a little jealous. But that didn't take away from me wanting my friend to go on that cruise. I was still happy for her, mm. um, and so we deal with jealousy all the time in our day to day lives. You know, if a friend gets promoted, and maybe I really wish I could get promoted. Um, it's something that we constantly have, but. For some reason, we see it in romantic relationships as something that's 
we can't deal with that we just start putting rules on our partners like oh i'm jealous of that friend so you can no longer hold hang out with that friend um and i'm not entirely sure why we place those rules i would have never told my friend that she couldn't go on that cruise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a great analogy actually mm-hmm. um i was thinking about something when you said that uh with jealousy oh that a lot of people in monogamous relationships say well um it's already like they, they act like there's no jealousy going on in their relationship and that there's more jealousy going on in polyamory relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, my always answer is, and you, and you can respond to this too, is people in polyamorous anticipate the jealousy and have healthy discussions around the jealousy where monogamous relationships often don't. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Um, I see more monogamous people in my personal experience, uh, being unable to deal with that jealousy in a healthy way uh, and polyamorous people do have to do that self-reflection and figure out, you know, what is that jealousy? Where is it coming from? Um, am I feeling like I have a fear of missing out? Am I feeling – is it my own insecurities coming out? Um, whereas a lot of people who are monogamous just say, I, I'm just jealous and you need to help me with this. Um, right. But but polyamorous people are forced to kind of analyze that and figure out where is that jealousy really coming from and how can I – um, move past that. How can I? How can my partner help me move past that? Which I think monogamous relationships should also do. Absolutely, right. Anticipate mm-hmm. it. Have these discussions, and it's a constant discussion. It's not like we had it one time and it's over. Right. Absolutely. Can you define um, here? We have hierarchical polyamory and non-hierarchical polyamory. Yeah. So hierarchical polyamory is kind of what I was uh, just mentioned with a primary partnership. Uh, that primary partner might be a nesting partner. They may not be. Um, but they're, they see that as the primary, most important relationship in that, um, in that polycule. Uh, so in a non-hierarchical polyamorous relationship, we'll see all their partners as equal, equally as important. Um, a good example is if I'm hierarchical and I get a job offer in California, I'm going to talk to my primary partner about that decision, and then I'm going to tell my other partners how that decision went and what I'm doing. Uh, whereas in a non-hierarchical polyamorous relationship, I might talk to all of my partners about that, figure out how to navigate that, and you know, am I going to be long distance with some people, or am I? Are we going to break up, um, or am I not going to take that job? I'll take everyone into consideration, maybe if I'm non-hierarchical, whereas I might not if I'm hierarchical. So people really have to know their place in this situation to know where they stand. What do you mean? Um, so like if they know that they're not the primary partner and really be uh, willing to recognize that if something like that does happen, I'm not going to be the one to be asked. Even I might have some input, but I'm not the primary one. Right. And so I think that's also really important for people to acknowledge what do they want from this relationship. Um, you know, uh, monogamous people all the time have that relationship talk and polyamorous people have to have that too. Uh, are we looking for just a friends with benefits situation? Am I going to be okay if you end up suddenly having to move to California? Or is that not really what I'm okay with? What are the age ranges that you end up seeing in your office? Uh, right now, I would say I have anyone from 20 to late 40s, early 50s uh, in polyamorous relationships. So it's not only the millennials and the younger that are doing this. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. One thing I notice, I don't know why, and I don't know if it's true all over the country, but in gay male couples, they don't call it polyamory. They either call it open relationships or if they bring in a third, they call it a thruple. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the term thruple, um, but it it is common in common usage. I think it has it carries a lot more stigma to it, and it's also I'm not sure if 
like I don't know if uh, why taking the word couple is so commonly used. Um, I tend to use the word triad or V depending on what the dynamics of that relationship are. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, an open relationship. I would say is the umbrella term a lot of the times. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you say a triad or V? Yes. What's V? A uh, V is where there is one person who's dating two other people and those two other people are not dating each other. Uh, the one person who's dating both of them would be the hinge partner in that situation. And so if you picture a V, yeah. um, the, each point of the V is one person. Um, so each person is in relationship with the bottom of the V. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. But, but not they're, with each other. Yeah, they're not connected with each other. They might be – they're metamors. They might be um, – you know, they might know each other, they might be friends, but they're not in a relationship with one another. Okay, I'm probably going to have to listen to this over again so I can understand <laughs> this better because it's a lot to think about for people, right? Yeah, there's a lot of terminology as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody asks me when I talk about this is what about the children? And mm-hmm. you and I talked about that and I hope that you would uh, talk about what about the children? <laughs> the children are fine. <laughs> um, to put it like bluntly, um, it. A one researcher, Elizabeth Sheff, uh, she wrote a great book on polyamorous families uh, with children. And polyamorous people are just like, you know, just like you and me. And it's there's a lot of stigma about people thinking that it's a kink or that they're having sex in front of the children. And that's just absolutely not true. Uh, a lot of, there's one quote in her book that I absolutely love and in which the kid was being interviewed. It was a teenager. About their polyamorous relationship, and the teenager said, "Well, I have a lot more money people to ask for money from." <laughs> that's right, <laughs> and I think that's great. Uh, you know, polyamorous children end up having just the same outcomes as people with in monogamy. Um, yeah. Have you worked with some of these people that have been children of or have children? I work with people who have children. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. because I've had co- um, clients or even therapists coming through my training say that they were raised in a polyamory ho- household, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it was two couples together, and what, and then they didn't get along anymore, so they divorced. Mm-hmm. But then they had custody of both, so they went back and forth, and they didn't lose them as parent figures. They kept them in, you know, there was a relational um, attachment that continued. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like that phrase: "It takes a village," and it's just a different form of a village, right, to raise mm-hmm. the children. I don't know that I have this all fully formed out. Maybe you do. But like a lot of people will say, well, kids are too young and shouldn't have access knowing that their parents are having sex like that and in these different configurations. But I think to myself, now I want to hear your thoughts, but I think first of all, kids know their parents are having sex. They don't like it. It's a you factor and they want to get away from it. Mm -hmm. But they know. I always feel like people who get upset about this with Polly are – monogonormative, right? So they that's what their issue is, is that the kid knows there's something going on that's not monogamous. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree that mononormativity definitely comes in. Um, I think the children don't think about their parents having sex, just like with a monogamous couple. The children don't really consider it. They think, oh, I just have more people around me, you know, more people to pick me up from school, whatever it is, more of a support system. Um, it, it's not something the kids are necessarily focused on because they're not going to think of their monogamous parents as having sex. So they're not going to think of their polyamorous parents as having sex. Right. No, And they don't want to anyways. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they ask age appropriate questions, you know, and yep. you give them age appropriate answers as you go on. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember my sister's kids knew my I'm gay and that I had a husband and um, they started asking me as they got older, you know, do you have sex? What kind of sex? Mm-hmm. What's going on in there? And I've just basically said, none of that's your business. All you have to know is that Mike's 
uncle. He's I, I love him. We have the same kind of relationship that your mother and father have, you know? Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we had a better relationship than their mother and father had. <laughs> um, what else would you want to add to this conversation that I haven't asked so far? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think the polyamorous community, um, a lot of questions that I get as well about the polyamorous community is how people manage time. Uh, and I think that time is a little bit different uh, and people consider the fact that you can't give all of your time to one person. That means that you can't be as committed to that one person. And I'm not sure how people are defining commitment, but mm. I think that that's an important thing just to acknowledge because it's not necessarily about having to give all of your time to one person. It's more about the quality of time that you're getting with that one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also takes a lot of the pressure off of an individual to be that all of that thing. You know, if I have a partner who loves baseball and I hate baseball, that partner can go with their other partner <laughs> to that baseball game and I'll just have a bubble bath by myself at <laughs> home or whatever, you know? Right. So it mm-hmm. takes the stress off and gives some more options. Absolutely. Right. Because we can't be everything to our partners. We're taught that we should be and what we can be, but it's not true. Exactly. Exactly. Polyamory offers alternatives to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what about a couple where um, they are – monogamous, but now over time they've decided I want to be poly. How should they negotiate that and how should that discussion go? I would say um, bringing it up would be the first step. And uh, reading a book, uh, there's lots of good books out there about polyamory, um, More Than Two, The Ethical Slut, The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory is one of my favorites. Oh. Um, Definitely reading a book, kind of getting some information about it. I think a lot of people try to jump into a polyamorous relationship and aren't prepared for it. Um, starting out as, you know, saying, I'm going to go out for the night. I'm not going out on a date, but I'm not telling you where I'm going and we're not going to be in contact. That's a great way to start because a lot of people try to go out on a date and then their partner is at home having a panic attack. Uh, trying to get some of that differentiation uh, for each of them is really important, um, reducing some of that codependency that monogamous couples tend to have. Right. And then maybe uh, reminding themselves that we can open and close this as need be with each other so that it's a fluid exchange, right? Yeah. And going slowly. Um, opening and closing oftentimes can be a little bit problematic because it leads to a lot of maybe distrust of the of the process. Mm. Um you know, maybe once would be okay, but is going really, really slowly is really important. You know, uh, I think that would be more beneficial than opening and closing a relationship time and time again. That makes sense. Now, a lot of people also say, and sometimes I do see this, where they say um, they're opening their relationship because it's on its way out. So they're trying, like, trying to have mm-hmm. a baby is going to make the relationship better. What do you say to that? That is rarely works. Um, I won't say it never works. Uh, but I think that your relationship has to be in a stable place in order to open up. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. it. I have this couple that I'm working with right now and what I, I love them and I love what they said. They said, um, we are in an open relationship and we're having lots of problems since we opened it. But it's not because we opened it. It's because as we opened it, it illuminated and highlighted the, the already existing problems we have. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really astute and really discerning for her and her husband to be able to say something like that. Absolutely. And I think when people try to close up a relationship because they're having problems, uh, it, they're not acknowledging the fact that this is a, just another transition in their lives. Uh, just like when a monogamous couple has a baby, that's a transitional phase. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues come up. Mm-hmm. And the same as when you're opening up into a polyamorous relationship. I was checked once in a presentation because I said when I worked with open relationships, if there was one that strayed or 
broke the contract or whatever, I would have make them close the relationship and then mm-hmm. have it go back back open after we worked it through. And someone said that's not fair to the partner who didn't cheat and didn't and stayed true to the contract. So mm-hmm. what you're saying aligns with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not fair to just close up and you know leave those other partners hanging. Right. Well, thank you so much. How can people reach you uh, after this podcast? Uh, you can find me in a couple different ways. You can find me on affirmativecouch.com. You can find me at acompasswithin.com, uh, facebook.com slash smsullivanmft. Um, yeah. It's been a pleasure having you on and I hope we can do it again and I hope you come to more of my meetup groups and add to the conversations we've been having. Thanks so much, Joe. It was a pleasure being on. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.